Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Wow, it's really good to be here this morning. I hope this mic will stay on my head. If it doesn't, don't panic. We'll grab something down there if it starts going like popping off my head or something crazy. But uh, man, it's just so good to be here. That worship was powerful. That, that worship like had some awesome theology in it. Those songs y'all picked today, just did y'all notice? They just had weight and meat on them. I was like, man, I'm just getting hit over and over and over with the goodness of Jesus and that foundation that he is. Really powerful this morning, guys. Amen. All right, so this morning, um, I'm going to be speaking on holiness, all right? And uh, the title of the message would be Holiness, Stepping into That Which is Excellent. And I'm hoping you come away with a little bit different view and understanding of holiness than you've ever had before. And um, I'm going to start there. We're going to be looking in the book of uh, Philippians, and uh, we'll be in the first chapter there. So we're going to kind of camp out. But um, in that book, I want to give a little context to the book. I love to do that. I love to give context. Um, in, the, in the book, Paul, um, you go to Acts 16, you can see the story of, of how the Philippians church came about. And that's what I love. You can kind of jump between some of these books and Acts, and you can see what happened there. And so Paul, he gets a night vision, a vision, guys, right? of a man standing in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And that man was, t- was waving for him to come over and share the gospel. And so that's how Paul ended up in Greece or in, in Macedonia, was a vision, was a night vision. And so I want to just kind of point this out as we go through this. The, the early church was a supernaturally-led church, all right? That's, that's how churches were birthed. That's how they operated And that's how we're to operate today. God hasn't changed that by any means. We need the supernatural today just like they did then. But that's how Paul got to Greece, and then he planted churches all over Greece. We we talk about the book of Thessalonians. That was also in Greece as well, and so or Macedonia, as it would have been called back then. And so Paul gets this vision, and so it's this supernatural call into this place. And... um, and he goes to the city of, of Philippi, and Philippi was, uh, was really a wealthy city. Um, there were gold mines in the, uh, the area. It was a crossroads city, and it was, had the status of a Roman colony. When you hear colony, you think, oh, that's just kind of an outpost. No, a colony was a city designated by Rome to carry the culture of Rome. And so it was supposed to be like a place where the, uh, the values of Rome would be put out into that area. And so this was a very special city that was designated that way. And Paul plants his church there with the Philippians, first church in Europe. Uh, it was mainly Gentiles. Women played a really important role, including in leadership in that church, which was really, really important to understand. Um, it was a healthy, strong, generous people. Paul noted their generosity in the book of Philippians. He loved them very much. He was very close to them. When you read how he was writing to them, there's just this closeness that he had. And um, they had some minor disunity problems, and, uh, but doing pretty good overall. And I want to point that out as well. A lot of these 
churches uh, were not perfect in the Bible. They all had problems, but Philippians didn't seem to have too many. Uh, Paul wrote a little bit about unity in there, but so they had some minor disunity problems. And so it's kind of important to understand that context. And as I was preparing this message, I began to think about context and why it was important. And if you could imagine, what if, what if we were the church at Philippi? What if, Bethel, what if it was Bethel Austin that was that church, right? What if Paul was writing to a letter to us? And what if I was standing up here talking today about that church that Paul was writing to? What, do, what, would, what would our context be? And as I began to think about it, I actually began to get pretty wrecked, guys. Because the context I thought about, if I was going to share about the church at Bethel Austin, um, I would say that we're a church that loves the presence of God, amen, um, that like to spend hours in worship. I mean, we have trouble stopping. Sunday morning's a little bit of a stretch for us because we go too short. Like, we're, str- we're, we're actually up here struggling, like, okay, should we, you know, should we kind of bring it back or whatever. So we struggle to actually shorten worship, which is an awesome thing in my mind. Um, We love to encourage people prophetically. We love that as a culture, right? We we have that the the people of Bethel Austin have this sense of wonder about them. They're they're always in wonder about what God's going to do next. Amen. Um, Testimonies are their love language. This church. Testimony are their love language. We love the testimony. We love even the 1%, 2% better testimonies, right? We celebrate those things. Um, we have this prayer meeting called pre-service revival. That's really a, well, it's not a prayer meeting, but it is a prayer meeting <laughs> where these people, I mean, I want you to imagine if we'd been describing this, right? They all work, walk in a circle and they love to get drunk in the spirit like Paul told the Ephesians they should do more of. They love that, Amen. You ever been in the circle, right? I like that. I like to walk when I pray, so it works for me. Um, they, uh, they look for the golden people, literally and figuratively. <laughs> We've had gold appear, right, in the service, right? Uh, but look for the heart of gold. Look for the good. Look for what God's doing, not focusing on the, the negative, amen? They see people get healed almost every single week right? They're dreamers. They like to activate people into the supernatural. They love Jesus. This would have been the context that if, if that letter was written to us, this would have been our context. And so I want you to capture that of how important is, that is. You know, they would have probably also said that, um, that since they're in Texas, this is what the theologians would have probably said. Like if we were back there and there. They would have probably said, since we're in Texas, um, they, most likely they love barbecue. And, and, and we're not sure about this, but probably they were all Dallas Cowboy fans. I had to get it in. Now, there might have been a few, you know, 49ers fans and Washington fans and Pittsburgh fans in the congregation, but they were all hoping that they would repent of that and get free of that, and, and, and they probably did. And then, no, no, they would have said seriously, that yeah, there's 49ers fans, there's Cowboys fans, but, but in Christ, there's only one new man. There's only one football team in Christ. That's, that would have probably been there, okay. All right, 
I'm gonna stop. I had to get my football in. I had to get my joke. Tim was not lying. So, listen, I love football. I have to watch it. I could like sit there by myself and watch football all day long. I just love it, man. I'm just sitting there and I don't know. It's just, some of you guys know what I'm talking about out there, right? And some of you ladies too, you like it. You like it as well. All right. All right. So let's move on. <laughs> but anyway, giving context. I think it's important. I think it's important to understand who the audience was, who was being written to. And so this church, Acts 16, gets planted. Powerful church. Um, first person that Paul meets when he, when he follows this vision of this man, this night vision of this man waving him over into Macedonia is he meets Lydia. Lydia was a, was a woman who was a seller of cloth purple. She was apparently a very wealthy woman. She was an entrepreneur, and this is who he meets first down by a river, shares the gospel with her. Her and her whole family get saved, which is really powerful. So Lydia is like the first, you could say, as far as we know, she would be the first convert in Europe to, to, to Christianity. And so this, this powerful woman, and um, it's, it's in her house that the early church began to meet in. And then Paul, after that, he meets a, a demonized girl that had been following them around and taunting them for days. And she was used by, for, she was used by these, this group because she could, she could tell fortunes apparently. And so um, through this demonic power, and so um, they were using her to make money. And so Paul got really upset after a few days. I don't know why he didn't get upset from the beginning. And he cast the demon out. And so she gets free. And as a result of that, as a result of that, the, uh, the guys that, that own this slave girl get mad and they throw him and Silas into prison. And then what happens next is they're in prison where they spent a lot of time for the gospel. And they're in prison and it says that about midnight they were singing. So they're in there worshiping. They're just having a worship service in prison. And an earthquake happens and the prison doors slam open. But the amazing thing is they don't leave. They don't leave. They stay. They stay right there. And the Philippian jailer comes back and he's like, oh my gosh, I thought you had left. Because if, if they would have gotten away, he would have probably been killed as a Roman soldier for letting those prisoners go. And so they didn't leave. In fact, they stayed so they could share the gospel with the prisoner. So he gets saved and his whole family, according to Acts 16. So who do you got? You've got a, a demonized girl. You've got an entrepreneur a woman entrepreneur, and you've got a Philippian, uh, you've got a Roman uh, jailer in, in, in uh, Philippi who all get saved. These are like the first seeds of the church in the book of Philippians. Really powerful. I want you to think about that diversity, right? And so this is who, this is, this is part of this congregation that this is being written to. So let's go to Philippians 1. Okay, this mic's headed off here. I don't know what's going on with my ear. Let me get that mic. This is going to be, I'm going to end up fighting that for hours. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll just, can we just leave it hanging? <laughs> Stacy hates, like, I, I'm all, like, disheveled. You know, it takes a lot of technology to preach. It's, like, it's complicated these days. Yeah, I don't think Paul had it this complicated, right? We got all kinds of stuff happening. We got wires hanging off of us, but here, I'll tuck it in. We're all right. All right. In case I decide to use it again. 
All right. Philippians 1, let's go there. So I just, I want to give you a little bit of context just because I like to give context. And I love to look at the story of the book. I think it connects us to what God's saying when we understand that these were real people. They had awesome things about them. They had struggles, they had problems, all of that. And, uh, but we're gonna look here in, in uh, Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. And uh, there's some powerful stuff here just in the greetings. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna point something out here. I pointed it out before when I preached other things, but you'll see Paul use a statement that I believe is super powerful if we can catch it and understand it. He said, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, in Christ who are at Philippi. But I want you to notice the first thing that he says to them. He says, to all the saints. And that's a powerful statement. That's not just a title. There's a statement that he's making here. And so what does it mean to be a saint? What does the word saint mean? It means holy people. And the Greek word there, uh, the Greek is hagos. And the idea is to be set apart or marked as God's people, his holy people. So that's what a saint is. So he's saying to all you holy people, to all you holy people. And holiness is defined. I want to I want to just give you a little bit of a it's really hard to define holiness, but I want to give you a little bit on that. So, holiness, it's more than just moral purity. When we think of holiness, we instantly think of moral purity, which we should. That's a part of it. But it's more than that. It encompasses more. Holiness speaks to God as being so powerful that he's the only one that he could create everything. That he's the source of all. Uh, a being that's not determined by anything outside of himself would be a descriptor or a part of what holiness would look like. It's, it's, um, it's, it's really this. It's God being completely and absolutely, utterly unique. That's holiness. That he's utterly unique. He's, he's completely other is one way you could say it. He's different than anything else. And um, he's like, he is his own category, right? And so when we talk about holiness, we're talking about something that's it's complete own category. And the way we could divine it, that category is God. God is the category. So God is holy, but the category is God, right? This will kind of blow your mind if you start to think about it too long, but but God is holy. God, God defines the category, all right? Um, he's, he's incomparable. You can't compare him to anything. He's majestic. He's awe-inspiring. He, I want you to think about this. God's not holy because he keeps the rules. <laughs> All the rules are based because he is other, Right? So we think, here's how we think of holiness. I keep all the rules. Boy, I'm doing good today. I'm, I'm, boy, I'm walking holy today, right? And that, I mean, there's a measure in that. that, that there's things in that that are, that are positive, but God wants us to understand it different, that, that God made the rules, that he, he is the rule. And so um, power and purity flow from him. And we can even see in the Old Testament that it was actually dangerous to approach him, because why? Because he was so other. 
He was so holy. He was so utter, he was so utter, uh, absolutely, utterly unique. So to approach him, uh, you, could, you could die. I mean, um, and it's not because he was bad. It's because he was so good. So holiness and goodness, they go together. I want, I want us to catch this, right? God was so good that he could not even be approached because that goodness would literally kill whoever approached him. And so we know in the Old Testament, only the high priest had to do some different things, could go in once a year, and uh, they would tie a rope to his leg. Because, I mean, could you imagine that moment? He's with the other guys, and he's like, hey, tell Stacy I love her. You know, I may not be coming back. I mean, I'm about to go into the goodness here, and I don't know what's going to happen. That's why Isaiah, when Isaiah saw him, like, he was scared. He was afraid. And then you see that coal was brought to his lips so that he could even approach God. But the point I want to make is that, that, um, that his presence is so powerful. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, there's none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. So it's saying there's none unique like you. There is none good like you. There is none like you, God. Amen? So I don't know if that really defined it, but I know this, when I stand in the presence of God, his holiness is more than just a list. It is him. It is awe-inspiring to stand in his beautiful, wonderful goodness. That is holy, a holy moment, amen? So what's it not? It's not, like I said, it's not a list. It's not a list that I'm trying to keep. And I'm going to say some things here, but just stay with me. It's not creating a lifestyle to contradict society. Right? We see groups do that. That's kind of a religion is what that is. Let me, I'm going to form this thing, like this holy thing, and it, just to contradict society. And so it's not that. Right? It's, it's not actually, it's not a determination just not to be like the world. Stay with me. It's not harsh. It's not mean. Holiness is not judgmental. I don't know. When I think of holiness in church, I, man, I, my wrong concept of it, I think of like some mean, harsh, judgmental people. And that's not what holiness is. And that is, at times, has been what the church has put forth because the church hasn't understood holiness. It had a form without actually approaching and entering into the goodness of God and understanding what it is. And, that'll, and that's religion, and that'll make you mean. <laughs> Say this with me. Religion makes you mean. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Boy, that was theological, right? Like, that was, wow. So it's not, holiness is not making myself pure. Holiness, again, it describes God's divine nature, his utter uniqueness and goodness, so what is, how, how do I get to holiness? I step into his nature. And stepping into his nature will change my lifestyle. That's important. It'll change the way that I behave, the way that I operate. But it's not me just coming up with a list of things, of do's and don'ts. I just, I begin to change. I begin to do things differently. I begin to think differently. And so that's important. 
It's taking on God's utter uniqueness. Think about that. So what's my responsibility? It's not to try to attain or be holy on my own merit because we can't reach the standard. It's what's pointed out to us in the Old Testament. We can't reach it. We can't get there. But it's my responsibility to reorient away from other things and step into God, to step into his new nature. Amen? And that nature is provided through who? Through Jesus. Amen? The reason I can approach this utter, unique goodness of God is because what Jesus has done in me. He's made me a new creature. He's washed me in his blood. And so I don't have to be afraid of being destroyed. We see it in the Old Testament. If anyone was gonna approach that goodness, they would be destroyed by goodness. But we are not destroyed by goodness. We are transformed by it. Amen? Because of Jesus, because of what he's done, I can approach God now and I can be transformed. Instead of being destroyed, I can actually be transformed by the goodness of God, by the holiness of God. Amen? We can stand. I want you to think about this. We can stand in the intensity of his goodness because of Jesus. This would have been a foreign concept that all people in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant could stand in the presence of God in his goodness, could approach him like the high priest would approach him. That is so powerful, guys, to think about. Amen? Wow, that's just like with the first um, three, uh, three words of Philippians. <laughs> There's a lot in there. But he goes on. Uh, let me just keep moving here. I'm going somewhere with this. Um, you notice here in this passage as well, he says, in Christ Jesus, who were at Philippi. And I pointed this out before. I love this wording here, in Christ, at Philippi. So he was saying something about them right here. He was saying, you're in Christ, you're at Philippi. You're at Austin, but you're in Christ. At being kind of a lower con a denominator. At meaning something that's, that's transient. I'm at, I'm at Austin, but this is not my home. I'm in Christ. And so he's pointing out to them here that, hey, you're in Christ, but you're at Philippi. So he's reminding them of something there. All right. All right, so let's keep going. Can we do that? All right. Some of this I'm not gonna hit, but verse three, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse six, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And so, this is what this points out to us. We are saints, guys. We carry and have been transformed by the utter goodness of God, the absolute goodness of God, yet we're under construction. All right, so God started a work in us, but he's going to complete that work in us. And I think that's really important for us to understand. I've seen people go, hey, I got it, and that's it. And their lives aren't continually being transformed because they think that they've got everything that God has to offer and that he's done all that he's going to do. Hey, I'm a new creation. I got this new DNA. Yes, true. But we're also under construction. We're stepping more and more every day into that goodness. We're going deeper into his presence. Amen. And so 
So we see that here. And Paul had this confidence here that, that God was gonna complete this work in them. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Lydia. He's talking to the Philippian jailer. And he's saying, hey, what God started, he's going to finish. I bet that Philippian jailer was like, man, that was amazing what he started, like earthquake. <laughs> they didn't run away. Like I came to Jesus, like, man, that's powerful. And so Paul's saying, hey, but God started that, but he's gonna complete in you this, right? And so really powerful. But I want us to also think about something else here. We need to learn to extend this scripture to each other. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What do I do when I see something in someone that really gets on my nerves? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, right? What am I doing there? It's something we like to do. We're looking, I see the gold in you. I see what God's done. I also see there's some shortcomings, but I have this confidence, not in you. I don't have confidence in you or me. I have confidence that God is going to bring you to completion. I have confidence that God is going to change whatever needs to be changed in people that I walk with, whatever needs to be changed in me. I have confidence that he can do it. And that's a completely different thing. What happens, we get really frustrated with each other, right? Why? Because we're trying to change the situation. We're trying to change them. We want them to change themselves instead of saying, you know what? I have confidence that God is going to change them, right? And that's how we gotta walk together. It's really powerful what he's telling them here. God will do it. I've got confidence that he'll do it. I'm sure that the Philippians had some issues just like all the churches did. And so he's... Like, okay, I'm confident God's gonna do this in you. Amen? All right, so now I actually wanna get to what I wanna talk about. Preachers are so bad, aren't they? <laughs> uh, some, uh, let's get some honesty here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, God, will, who, he who began a good work will complete it and them too. They won't tell things like, hey, I'm almost finished, and they're not almost finished, you know. We'll get there. All right. So Philippians 1, 9. We're gonna skip a couple verses here. It's a prayer of Paul. Always pay attention to Paul's prayers. In his prayers, there are secrets that will, that will blow your mind. It's like they unlock things when you pay attention to his prayers. They're really powerful. And his prayer here, we can actually step into today. You ready to step into this prayer with me? I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna break some of it down. Philippians 1.9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, putting it up on the screen, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. So I wanna break this passage down here. Verse nine, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And you can read this passage like it's a continuance in the Greek. So the way it would read is this. It would read that your love may abound or another word for abound would be overflow. So that your love would overflow more and more. And then it would go on, if you kind of went with it, it's saying that knowledge, that with knowledge. So knowledge, and what is that? 
that's, if you look at the Greek, you can, you can bring out that it's, the knowledge that it's talking about is firsthand knowledge. All right? It's, I want you to think of it like this. It's contact knowledge. I, I connected with God. I had contact with God. So it's not just, it's not learned knowledge through other people. It's connection knowledge. It's uh, first contact knowledge, first, first-hand knowledge. And so, that, so he's saying that your love would, would overflow more and more, and then that your first-hand knowledge of God would overflow more and more. This is important. Then it goes on to say that your discernment, and again, it's this continuance. So it's saying love more and more, knowledge more and more, discernment more and more. So discernment is what? It's, it's depth of insight. And so it's depth of insight into the nature, ways, and character of God so that that would overflow more and more, so that that would increase, and so that our love would overflow more and more, that it would be increasing, that our firsthand knowledge would be increasing, and that our depth, that, that not just that first contact or that firsthand knowledge, but then our depth of relationship would begin to increase and would overflow more and more. And so when you begin to understand the context of this and how God wants us to work in our lives, it's really powerful. You could say it like this. I'm gonna give you my own translation. I'm just kidding. All right, it's not my translation, but I wanna put it in, in, in some terms we can kind of get here. So you could say it like this, that your love, firsthand revelation knowledge of God and depth of insight of God's nature ways and character would be overflowing and ever increasing more and more. That's a mouthful, right? You want me to read it again? That your love, firsthand revelation, knowledge of God, and depth of insight of God's nature, ways, and character would be overflowing and and ever increasing more and more. So that's what God wants to do in us. And that's what, he wants, that's what he was speaking to the Philippians. This was a prayer, remember. And this prayer is still operating and working today. That we would enter into this place of more and more, ever increasing overflow of God in our lives. And that it would not just be something, God would not be just something that we know about. But we would have firsthand knowledge. That we would have first, uh, firsthand knowledge. Uh, that we'd have contact with him in a way that we would begin to overflow with more and more of him. That, that, our, that our roots in our lives would go, go down deep. I love those songs this morning because there's a depth inside of those songs about, uh, uh, that, that were communicating to me some things about God that are really powerful. I don't wanna just sing the songs. I want my roots to go down and discern and understand the depth of who God is and what he's about. Amen? And so what's the purpose of all that? Paul gives it to us. Verse 10. Purpose of the ever-increasing more and more of God is this. So that you, and always pay attention to so's. Boom, boom, boom. So, so that you may approve what is excellent. So what does that mean? That you might, demonstrate, when we look at approve, that you might demonstrate what is good, that you might show that something is real. So this overflow creates this, a demonstration or an approving of what is essential, 
what is superior in quality and what matters and what counts, what is higher, what is excellent, what is God's utter goodness, his holiness. Demonstrating, approving the reality of heaven and heavenly things. Start to feel the anointing now. I like it. Demonstrating his presence, his nature, his beauty, his kindness, his gentleness, his joy, his peace. This is what it means to carry that which is excellent. And God has given to us this ability to carry and approve that which is excellent, to show the world what is superior in quality. I don't think the world is, they're not interested in just our ideas. They're not interested in our Facebook posts telling them how bad they are. They don't care. That doesn't interest them. In fact, it just makes them go the other direction, right? They're not interested. They're not interested in our politics, to be honest, guys. What the world is interested in, what will get the world's attention, what will get people who don't know Jesus' attention, if we begin to carry their superior quality. If we begin to carry holiness, but not the holiness that's inside of religion, the false holiness, not the mean, harsh, critical holiness, that's false. Anyone who's operating in that, I'm sorry, it's false. And you see a lot of people operating that, and they're calling other people false. I would say that those people are false because they're not operating in the superior quality of heaven, which is what? Number one, it's love. It's the more and more. It's the ever-increasing love of God. And you're going to increase in your love as you increase in discernment, as you increase in your depth of no- and your depth with him and in knowledge uh, that first hand knowledge of God that's where love's going to increase amen and so we are to be demonstrators carriers of the reality of heaven of that which matters most which is the goodness of God so this is an amazing thing to me that we this is amazing that not only are we being transformed by glory, but we carry it and we can touch other people with his glory and they can be transformed as well. This is powerful. We can change atmospheres. We can change atmospheres of where we work. We can change atmospheres in a city. We could change an atmosphere in the nation. And it's not gonna, by, it's not gonna be by venting all of our frustrations with society as it is. It's going to be carrying the most excellent the goodness, the utter goodness, absolute goodness of God. This is what transforms society. This is what will transform people. And everything else can line up behind that, right? This is what changes the world. If you're concerned about our country, we need to operate in the utter goodness of God. That's the only thing that's going to change our country. I can even show you in the history of our own country, it was revivals that created change in our country, not anything else. Not Christians walking around upset, frustrated, mean, lobbing out crazy stuff on Facebook. It's the utter goodness. It's the encounter with that utter goodness that brings transformation. 
And so what do we want to give our lives for? God, I want to get deeper with you. I want to get more into discernment. I want more firsthand knowledge and love so that I can carry your goodness and change. Amen? All right. So let's say like this, that your love, firsthand revelation, knowledge of God, and depth of insight of God's nature, ways, and character would be overflowing and ever-creasing more and more so that you would demonstrate, approve what is superior in quality and what is excellent. (laughs) What a call. What a call, guys. What a call. And then he goes on, continues in verse 10. We'll land here in a minute. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So he tells us what we're to carry, then he tells us how we have to carry it. And here's how we've got to carry it. We've got to be pure and blameless. No mixed motives, sincere in our motives. Pure is something that is inward. Blameless is something that is outward. So I'm to be pure. So this transformational goodness is to continue to touch my life in a way that purifies my heart on the inside. And you know, that's something God does at salvation, but it's also this continual thing that happens in us as he's purifying our hearts. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not a, it's not a oh man, purity is, you know, whatever. Because people think of purity through terms of religious holiness No, it's a beautiful thing. It's to carry and that your heart would be full of the utter goodness of God, that your heart would be full of this absolute goodness and and that would be, that's a pure heart. That's what that is. And then blameless, what's blameless? Blameless is outward. If you look look in the Greek, Greek, it means not to offend or cause someone else to stumble. How many believers have caused other people to stumble with their opinions instead of carrying the ever-increasing goodness of God? And so not causing someone to stumble and behaving in a way that is excellent. So our behavior then has to begin to line up with what is internal, what is pure inside of our hearts, what we are increasing in. Our behavior must line it up, line up with that. Amen? And we know this, we're all under construction and God's gonna complete that work. Our behavior sometimes doesn't line up But that's not an excuse to say, well, you know, I'm just like this. No, God, I want to press more into you. I need to get more into your love. I need to get more firsthand knowledge of you. I need to contact you more in a way that changes me so that now my heart is pure and now I'm walking blamelessly. My outward behavior is walking in a way that is blameless, right? So I'm outwardly pure and I'm inwardly pure and I can't create any of those things, but I can step into it every single day. (laughs) So the presence of God is not just for a feeling. It transforms us. It changes us to stand, to stand in his holiness. I love it. It's, it's amazing. I mean, think about it. You've got like, you're like standing in front of the sun and it's not burning you up. I mean, that's what it is, right? It's this pure, holy God, and you're like, ah, this is awesome. We're all standing. This is incredible. 
I mean, in the Old Testament, they couldn't even conceive that this could happen like this, right? Like we're all here going, whoa, this is amazing. I mean, we're literally standing in front of this purity that is amazing, and, but it's not destroying us, it's transforming us. It's making me, when I walk out of this building, I'm different. I do things different when I'm, after I'm in the presence of God. It's transforming my life. It's showing me things that I need to, to push aside, but it's a joy to push them aside because they're not in God's utter goodness. They're nothing. Amen? They're nothing. All the stuff, all the sin, it's nothing. It is, there's no goodness in it. Who wants it when you get in touch with him? Amen? All right. And then he goes on, landed here filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as a result, we're gonna be filled with fruit of the righteousness of God. And so I wanna say this, other ethical systems call us to be what we're not. But God calls us to become who we already are. Let that blow your mind. <laughs> All right, to grow into our new nature more fully, overflowing with the reality of heaven. <laughs> every time we meet together, every time we wake up, we spend time with the Lord, we're becoming who we already are. Saints, I love it. Saints, yet we're stepping in to who we are. So let's do that, guys. <laughs> Why don't we stand Let's step in to who we are. Let's put aside other things. Let's don't get distracted and focused on what the world focuses on. Because God has a solution, but we're not gonna get it by focusing on all the stuff that's out there. We'll just be frustrated, we'll get worked up. And maybe there are some things, there are some things that need to change, definitely but they're not gonna change with our frustration. They're gonna change as God's people begin, begin to carry his utter goodness. You know, a lot of the ways that the church has responded over the last few years to a lot of different things, you know what it's actually doing? It's driving away a young generation from the church. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do. I, listen, go talk to them. Ask them what they think because of all the swirl that's happened in the body of Christ, they're pushing away from it. Why is that? If I believe this, if we, weren't if we would carry the utter goodness, they would be attracted to it. That's the hope. But if we continue down this path, we're gonna we will lose the whole thing if we go down that path. But if we will get into God's utter goodness and carry it, we're gonna see transformation in our town, in our city. Do you believe that God can do that? Yes. Amen. Let's just lift our hands up and I'm gonna pray over you and then I'm gonna turn it over. Dylan's gonna come up for a ministry time. But Lord, <laughs> I pray, God, that we as your people would learn to stand in your utter goodness. God, that we would wake up in the morning, we would turn our heart towards you, and we would stand in your pure, wonderful, beautiful presence, and we would turn our face into holiness that we would turn our face into goodness. And God, as a congregation, as Bethel Austin, God, that we would never forget what it means, God, to stand in your presence. God, that we would never grow weary of coming and showing up and saying, I'm here again with my brothers and sisters to turn my face towards heaven and to experience this wonderful presence. And God, I pray that we would begin to carry
your presence into this city and we would be transformed and we would look like you, that we would look like you, that we would be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, ever increasing into the more and more goodness that you offer to us. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.